this Sunday is the baptism of our Lord. Um, and so we'll pick that up um, as part of Epiphany. Uh, remind me what the season of Epiphany is all about. Yeah, the revelation that Jesus is God. So that in all of these things, we might learn who our God is, what he's like, what he does. Um, this is a, um, a revelation, not just that Jesus is the guy, um, but, but what kind of guy he, he is. He is Jesus who has come to save his people from their sins. He is Jesus who has come to die for the whole world, rise again, and send forth the Holy Spirit, that through word and sacrament, people would be brought into faith, unity with life, hope, and, and everything else that goes along with it. And so when we, when we study text inside of it, um, that's, that's one of the things then that we, we don't ever really want to lose sight of, that um, as we're, we're dealing with these epiphany texts, um, we want to kind of keep our eye on who our God is, because they're, they're set this way inside of our lectionary that, that we might grow an understanding of, of our God. So that when we do have then, um, we're going to grab uh, Matthew chapter 3, beginning at verse 13, for the baptism of our Lord. We're going to be preaching out of our Old Testament, um, out of Isaiah 42. Um, but uh, for the, the sake of this study, um, we're going to just sort of grab where we are in the scriptures and then jump off from there. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. Then Jesus came to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him, and John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so why does John want to stop Jesus from being baptized? John knows who Jesus is. For one, John's not worthy even to untie the sandal, let alone baptize God. But does Jesus need a baptism for the remission of sins? Yeah. No, he's not. Jesus is born in flesh, but Jesus is not born with sin. Otherwise, he could not fulfill the law. Um, in other words, um, is there any amount of practice that is going to make me genetically able to start in the NBA? What's, what's the matter? Uh, what if I really tried my best? Because I was told that if I try real hard, I can be anything that I want to be when I grow up. I'm too short. We could get way more personal than that, too. Let's just leave it at short. Yeah, um, there's, there's just a limit to this. Jesus was not born sinful. In fact, he was born without sin, like us in every respect, but without sin, which is the epistle. Um, and that's why he needed to be born of a virgin, that that sinful seed of Adam would not be passed to him. Jesus, who has no sin, who is perfect man and perfect God, who is the image of man as it was before the fall, Adam and Eve, comes into those waters not needing it. Baptism is where he assumes our sin. He, he picks up our sin in those waters. You want to be the last kid in the bath if there's three kids sharing water? How come? It's kind of dingy and grayish brown. It's dirty. Jesus goes into the Jordan River, dirty river, after a whole bunch of sinners to bathe around in their sin, to be united with sinners in the water, that we would be united with him in what comes after it, um, in the death and resurrection. John knows who Jesus is, doesn't need this. And so he says, God Almighty, let me tell you how to do your job. 
the presuppositions we make about God are dangerous things sometimes. And that's what Epiphany is, is a really wonderful season for. It confronts us with a lot of the presuppositions that we are willing to make about God. And so over and over again, we, we sort of grab onto these things. Whether or not they be from Scripture, we have them. And then when we're confronted with anything that would otherwise not fit, it gets harder. Um, we do this with anything else in the world, too. We, we rely a lot on presupposition. Why do I set an alarm the night before I go to bed? I'm assuming something. There's going to be a morning where whatever needs to get done will have to get done. And I also know about myself, I'm not capable of waking up at five in the morning without something blazing in my ear. Because sane people don't tend to do that. Um, And so um, I I need the alarm. Um, That's a good presupposition. (coughs) The Lord will come soon, Lord willing, come Lord Jesus. But until he does, I've got vocations. And I've got an old Adam to wrestle with. And so wake up. I'm trying to teach myself to make the sign of the cross before I check my cell phone. Um, because that says a lot about me, I think, as a person that I have to struggle with it. But um, I'm just saying. But there are presuppositions we make. What if we made one about God? Um, one of the more common ones I hear, God just wants you to be happy. You're, sh- you're shaking your head no. How many people do you think would make that presupposition about God? A lot. That then leads to a confrontation with reality in a lot of ways. God just wants you to be happy. So what happens then when you believe this with all your heart, soul, and mind? You didn't really necessarily get it from the Bible because it's not in there. Um, But then your kid tells you, you know what, I don't want to go to church. And you say, well, why don't you want to go to church? And they say, well, it's boring. It doesn't make me happy. But God just wants you to be happy, so clearly you shouldn't go to church, right? So what do we have to then start to do? If our our starting point is God wants you to be happy and you're not happy in boring church, what should we do to church to make it so that you're happy there? Make it more entertaining. Definitely don't talk about the things that make me unhappy, like, you know, my sin, my mortality, my lack. Let's brush all those things aside. Let's put in something kind of upbeat and, and sort of, I mean, at least vaguely inspiring. Let's, let's make worship as entertaining as possible. Because if God doesn't, well, if God wants me to be happy and I'm not happy, I've got a problem. And you think I'm throwing rocks, but let's do it um, anywhere else. I, I'm really, really happy, um, I don't know, breaking the first through tenth commandment. <laughs> I would be happy to have that car over there. Well, God just wants you to be happy, so clearly you should steal that car, right? Right, wrong. You know how I know it's wrong. There's a seventh commandment that says, thou shalt not steal. Um, in fact, we should maybe even talk about the fact that thou shalt not covet that car in the first place. Um, if you want to start with the fact that God wants you to be happy, what do you do with all the things that he calls wrong in his word that make you happy? You have to eventually say, either my presupposition about God is wrong or his word is wrong. Pick. And that right there is a sharp and dividing thing. A stumbling block, if you will. God doesn't necessarily want you to be happy. He wants you to be faithful. And that will bring joy. It does. It will bring praise. It does. But that also means that we have to daily drown our old Adam, which isn't happy. That also means that to be united with Christ in his resurrection, we must first be united with him in his death, which is kind of a downer. Um, Let's grab then with our our sacraments, because this is our text for today. 
Um, the presuppositions you make about your sacraments are very much closely tied to what you think about God. In other words, what you think about Jesus has a lot to do with what you think about the sacraments. And what you think about the sacraments has a lot to do with what you think about Jesus. Um, I'll, I'll give you our formula of Concord. In, in our Lutheran confessions, um, the, the rule book to being Lutheran, the, the reason that I can be a dummy and still be a pastor is because I can just copy the answers right out of here, and I do. Um, this is what we've all sworn to be. We, it's not that this is better than the Bible. It's not. It's that this is how we understand the Bible. Because if the Bible were quite so simple to understand, well, people would maybe stop thinking that God just wants them to be happy. Um, we, we might not have this filthy word called denomination because a whole bunch of people sat down and read the Bible and were very, very convinced about different things because of the presuppositions you make going into it. In other words, if you read the Bible looking for yourself, you will find yourself. And if you read the Bible looking for Christ to die on the cross, you will find that. But your eyes must be opened in faith. Which is why our, commandment, our uh, catechism tells us, I cannot by my own reason or strength believe. We have to be taught how to read the Bible. You should still read the Bible, but we actually do have to be taught how. Not just that we would sound out the words, because you have to be taught that. Not that we're trying to put a roadblock between you and your Lord. But we, we actually want to say, this is how we start to deal with these things, so that we would check our presuppositions. Because our presuppositions, well, are our thoughts. But God's thoughts are not our thoughts, and his ways are not our ways. Is that a Bible passage in the book of Isaiah? So, how I think the world should work, is that how God thinks the world should work? No, and that's very clear, because is this world going exactly how I want it to? So I've got to deal with that presupposition. This is why we have confessions, and it helps us start to, to deal with these things. In the formula of conquered, inside of this thing, um, we have, um, I'm just going to read from the, the epitome, the, the shortcut to it. Um, Article 7 is of the Holy Supper of Christ. What do you think we're going to talk about if we want to talk about the Lord's Supper, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper? We're going to have to get down to brass tacks and talk about the body and blood. So let's start with what it is, then what it does, then who it's for. That's what our catechism does too, right? What is it? What does it do? How can it work? Who's it for? Those are the questions given to us. What is the sacrament of the altar? What does it do? How can bodily eating and drinking do such great things? How can one worthily receive it? So we're going to start with what it is. Is it the body and blood of Jesus? How do you know it's the body and blood of Jesus? Because God says, well, yeah, okay, I know that he said the word is, but how can Jesus fit into a wafer? The finite cannot contain the infinite. I'm making a presupposition. God cannot fit in that little cup. So let's maybe check this because his word says otherwise. He does clearly say, this is my blood. Shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And I can either take that or I cannot. So it is his body and blood because he says so. Well, if God wants to put himself in a cup, am I really the one to say, God, let me tell you how to do your job? I should be baptized, I should be baptized by you, not the other way around. Let me, let me explain to you how to work things. No. We take God at his word. And we say, God, maybe there's a chance I'm wrong. Let's check my presupposition every single time I crack this book because I might be wrong. And so, if I am convinced that he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I'm his own, but I can't quite see him in that little cup, I should check my presuppositions on both. Because he has ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And the footprint poem is not actually in the Bible. And neither is that hymn or song, really. It's, it's just not. Um, 
but this is my body shed for you. That is. So, just starting with that. This is body and blood. Is it also bread and wine? So it doesn't magically transform. It's not just a representation, though. We're just going to take God at his word. And so, I say, this bread is my body. And so is it bread? Yes. Is it body? Yes. Is it wine? Yes. Is it blood? Yes. Is it just a representation of Jesus? No. Is it just a spiritual eating and drinking of Jesus? No. Is it, is it magic transformation from, body, uh, from bread into body? No. It's just what the word says. This is my body for you, for the forgiveness of sins. If you have a problem with that, the very, very next article is on the person of Christ. In other words, if you have a problem with the Lord's Supper being both bread and wine and body and blood, do you think you might have a problem with the idea that Jesus is both God and man? Can you see how the two are related? How does that man contain the fullness of God? The finite cannot contain the infinite. I'm, I'm sure of it. I've made it up. I've made up my mind. You can't put God in a cradle or a manger or a box. Wait. That's exactly what the scriptures say. The presuppositions that we make carry over. Everything is connected. And so what we think about the Lord's Supper will have bearing on what we think about Jesus. And what we think about Jesus will have bearing on what we think about the Lord's Supper. Right? Also true with baptism. Who is baptism for? Sinners. What you think about Jesus has everything to do with what you think about baptism. What you think about baptism has everything to do with what you think about Jesus. And so this goes right to the core of, of our faith. This is the question of justification. Who did Jesus come to save? Those who are worthy or those who are not? All of us. Sinners. So, Jesus came to save, I don't know, like a thief on the cross? Because he pledged himself to Jesus? What did that pledge actually do? Did it pull him down from that cross? Did it make him not die? Did it make him a better person even? Huh? It gave him what Jesus promised him it would. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Is it because he pledged? Oh, that might be the better place to start. It's because Jesus was on that cross too. Because if Jesus actually did come down from that cross just like he could have, and that thief on the cross pledged himself to Jesus, what would have still happen to that thief? If Jesus didn't die, we would still be in our sins. If Jesus didn't rise, we would still be in our sins. It's, let's start with Jesus. Why do we fight about baptism so much then? Oh, let's just go right to it. Should we baptize babies? We say yes. Why? Let the little ones come to me. So yeah, you can. Let's bring them up there and we'll dedicate them. What? It's not a work. See, you're doing it the right way. Keep it up. You're going to who God is. Because if you want to understand the stuff that God does, you have to go according to his character. And if you want to understand God, we can also start to look to the things that he does. And so, um, we would baptize babies. Are they, is it because they're without sin? It's because, in fact, they are sinful. Is it because they're so much more trusting than you guys? Show me. What makes babies so much more trusting than you? 
Huh? They depend on you, but that doesn't mean they trust you. I was going to say, um, you, you don't have to be very old at all before there's just, I mean, a, a clear stimuli. I can take my daughter and she'll stop crying. You can take my daughter. It doesn't do the same thing. Like from a very, very early age. I mean, we've documented this, that inside of the womb, they recognize the voice, the audible voice of mom and dad, and they grow to trust that. If that's the, the case, then anybody who's not, babies are not just automatically trusting. In fact, children are very, very much skeptics. Like, I've got two little skeptics at home. I, I know this because as they deal with the world, as they deal with the, the pieces of entertainment, um, they come to me and they say, Dad, is this real life? because they watch Pokemon or whatever thing, and they're trying to figure out what's real and what's not. They don't just trust everything to be real. Children are not trusting. They're, they're just, they're not. You know why? I, I can prove this. Perfect trust comes from perfect faith. In other words, if you absolutely trusted me as a parent, would you always do what I say? Do they always do what I say? That's because they don't trust me. I mean, really. If you perfectly trusted God, let's start with the Ten Commandments. What is the first one? You shall have no other gods, right? What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And so anytime you sin, it's the first commandment and something else. Like, really. Anytime you skip church, it's because you didn't actually, you break the third commandment, but ultimately this is a question of whether or not you believe God is here. Because if you believe God is truly here, you're going to be here. Let's go to the seventh commandment. I really want a car. I'm not so sure God will get me where I need to go, so I better have it under control. Everything has to do with trust. If I actually trusted God, I wouldn't break the other commandments. So too with children. Do they listen to you? Sometimes they do. Sometimes. Because children aren't necessarily all that trusting. They are, however, quite helpless. And that's, that's actually the thing we need to talk about. Jesus doesn't want to save the righteous, but sinners. So, that we understand justification. If Jesus only came to tell us to be good people and do the things that he would do and want the things that he would want, would he die for a sinner? Would he even need to die at all? No. So, that carries over to baptism. The churches that don't believe um, truly in justification without works, holy by faith, holy on Christ, death and resurrection, are also the ones that tend to not baptize babies. Or, We'll add baptism to babies and then shift it immediately over into something else. Your baptism was a one-time thing and now we need to move on to something else like um, penance. What you think about baptism has a lot to do with what the help you'll find from God. And the help that you expect to find from God, if he promises all that help is in baptism, what will we say? I am baptized into Christ, thanks be to God. Are you kind of following me on this? If you don't expect help from Jesus for sinners, why would you want a baptism from him? So, if we're going to teach baptism, um, our large catechism really gets after it. It, it, it starts with um, a handful of points that, that I wouldn't otherwise have gone to. Um, because you almost have to assume good things about God for it to work, which is something I struggle with as a, as a sinner. Right? So, the large catechism starts out with baptism by saying, um, without the sacraments, there can, no, there can be no Christian. 
What do you think? Without the sacraments, there can be no Christian. We have presuppositions. Where is God? The scriptures tell us he is in the sacraments. The sacraments are nothing more than the visible word of God. In other words, what makes baptism a baptism? Right kind of water? No. The word. And so, we'll take any old water. I like warm water because nobody likes getting splashed with cold water first thing in the morning. It's rude. Um, But then, that which makes baptism is the word of God. For without God's word, the water is plain water and no baptism. But with God's word, it is a baptism. That is a life-giving water rich in grace and a washing of new birth in the Holy Spirit. That's our catechism, right? So, the thing that matters then is God's word. Do you believe God's word saves or don't you? We're going to have to check with that. Same thing with the sacrament of the altar. What makes it body and blood? The words of institution. God joins his word to a material item, and that item is special not because of the item, but because of the word. And so, before the words of institution are spoken, what do we have on that altar right now? Bread and wine. After? Body and blood. The water that makes baptism. We get it from the sink. It's just water. The thing that saves is God's word joined to it. John chapter 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Word that is joined to water, that Word that is joined to bread and wine is nothing other than Jesus. Is Jesus in the font? Yes. Is Jesus in the cup? Yes. Is Jesus in the bread? Yes. And I expect salvation there, because I expect salvation from Jesus. You see the things that we kind of, we have to lay this kind of groundwork before these things would actually start to stand. Why is this hard for us? You, I mean, you chuckle at these things, but there are, there, are three, there are three churches inside of Windside. There is an LCMS, an ELCA, and a Methodist. The Methodist church doesn't confess the real presence of Christ in the supper. The Methodist church doesn't call baptism a working of salvation. The ELCA practices open communion. They say anybody can come if they want. You're making assumptions about Jesus in both cases. The Methodist church is founded on, they they were given the, the name Methodist because they actually called this the method to work out your own salvation. In other words, these are the things that you do to be saved. If you're saving yourself, do you need the water? Do you need the bread? Do you need the wine? What you think about Jesus carries over into what you think about his church. In the ELCA, we've we've decided that God is who we want him to be. The scriptures are not the word of God, but contain the word of God. And so there's lots of stuff in there that aren't the word of God. So of all the stuff in there I don't like, it's just not God's word, and we're not going to worry about it. And so that stuff then about condemning sin, that doesn't happen there. So why bother with closed communion where God promises it can be dangerous if you come not confessing the truth. If you receive it wrongly, it can be condemnatory. It can kill, make sick. Well, don't worry about it. I don't believe that. What you think about God carries right over into what you think about his, his sacraments. And what you think about his sacraments carries right over into what you think about God. And so we let the sacrament stand, according to the catechism, on God's word and command. Over and over and over and over again. Luther puts this thing onto the word and command, the word and institution of God. In other words, why should you get baptized? Let's start with this one thing, because God commanded it. He he doesn't go anywhere past there. 
He doesn't actually start with, you should get baptized because it is a life-giving, water-rich in grace. He says, you should get baptized because God instituted it, and God wants you to be baptized. Why would we rather start with ourselves and our understanding than with God and his word? Because deep down, we really don't want to baptize babies either. I want to make sure you really understand this thing before I give it to you. I want to make sure you really earn this thing before I give it to you. And Luther says, no, it's not on that. It's on Jesus. Does Jesus want you baptized? So much so that he was willing to go in those waters too. So get baptized there. And then we'll start teaching you what it means. This whole thing stands on God's word and command. Because where God commands things, they are. Right? If God is going to command a thing, all of creation is going to start to shape itself to that. Right? So, if God says it should be light, it's light. And if God says, I don't want you guys stealing or committing adultery or killing each other, for one, don't. But why? It hurts people. It breaks stuff. Things go better when God's commands are obeyed. This is how it's supposed to be. How about baptism? Does he command you to be baptized? When you're going into all nations, baptize. So, Luther then, he starts with, God commands it. Where does God command it? He goes to Matthew 28, and he goes to Mark 16, 16. So, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Also, Mark 16, 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Does God's word say we should be baptized? Does God's word say it's a good thing? Does God's word say there's anybody that it is not for? We like to do this argument from silence thing. Never says anywhere in the Bible that you should baptize a baby, except right there in Matthew 28, because all nations actually includes children. You were born a citizen, and you were back then too. You were either born a slave or born a Greek. You were born a Jew or you were not. But we like to make the argument from silence, which doesn't work very well. In other words, it didn't say you had to. So, like, if um, I walked up to you, and you put your hand out to shake my hand because it's the morning, and instead I slapped you in the face. And I said, well, you didn't tell me not to. Does that make any kind of sense? Is that how the world works? Anywhere? Ever? That, that is a terrible argument. And also, it's, it's why there's a bajillion warnings on a box of firecrackers. You know why it says, please do not ingest on a box of firecrackers? Because some moron said, well, it didn't tell me I couldn't eat it. Is that really the, the approach that you want to take to the church? No. Let, let's, let's first of all stop and say, what is good and what is evil? And, and go from there. You can figure out a lot about baptism just by the fact that God commands it. And God joins himself to it. Because where God commands a thing, he not only commands it, but he also attaches a promise to it. And so, baptism, baptism also contains a promise. God commands it, and he says, do this, you'll have that. Are you with me? He does that to the law, too. What's the problem? I'm serious. He does it. Fulfill the law perfectly, will you go to heaven or hell? If you fulfill the law perfectly, you'll go to heaven. <laughs> we can't do that. 
Um, to, to fail in even one instance of it is to fail in all of it. Thus says James. And so, with baptism, though, there's actually a promise for us. And he attaches it into a firm place. And that matters. What you expect of Jesus, you expect of baptism. What you expect of baptism, you expect of Jesus. When Jesus was born, an angel saying to shepherds, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Shepherds then said to themselves, Oh, great, I can worship God in my heart. And they stayed right there in those fields, right? Let's go find him. The wise men, they said, you know what? I, I, I really got a lot going on on Sunday. It's busy. I got, I got a tournament. I'm just tired. I only get one day off a week. So I'm definitely not going to drive 20 minutes, let alone travel from afar for months to find an infant child. Right? They're like, Let's just stay home. We'll, we'll, we'll say a prayer. I can pray to God anywhere. No? For some reason, yes, you can tell me God is everywhere. But God being everywhere doesn't help much. God being here for you matters. And so whenever God located himself in the scriptures, the people went there. Did the crowds follow Jesus around? Or did they say, you know what? We can worship you anywhere. Let's leave my sick at home. There was one instance where they did leave the sick at home, but they still went to, the centurion went to Jesus and said, my servant is ill. And another one said, my daughter. Faith in Jesus goes to Jesus. Good. Faith in Jesus goes to Jesus. And so if you actually believe Jesus is in a manger, you're going to the manger. And if you actually believe Jesus is walking around from town to town healing the sick, you go. And if you actually believe Jesus is in church, you go. And if you actually believe Jesus is in the sacrament, you get it. You see where I'm going with this? Does baptism do something? If you don't believe it does, I mean, it's optional. If you feel like it, do it. When you're ready to prove your point, get it. Say your pledge allegiance to the Jesus. Show everybody that you're special. And then prove it. Live a good life. Because this is the thing that we're accused of all the time by baptizing babies. We baptize a baby. That baby grows up, stops going to church. Clearly, the baptism didn't do anything. They didn't prove it. How are you going to say baptism saves you when people fall away from it? Because that's the Bible verse, right? First Peter. 3, 21, baptism now saves you. Have we done this? I mean, I know we've done this, but have we done this recently? No? Let's go look then. Uh, where'd my Bible go? Hey! Thank you. First Peter 3, 21, baptism now saves you. By the way, that's just how it's supposed to be. The Bible holds up the confessions, not the other way around. Object lesson, right? Did that on purpose. Very responsible. Organized, too. <laughs> if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Wrong passage. Uh, 1 Peter 3.21. I'm going to go back a verse. I'm going to start at verse 20. 
They formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Christ Jesus. So, baptism corresponds to Noah and the ark, right? What saved Noah, the ark or God? God? How? through the means of the ark. We love to sort of set up this false dichotomy saying, God had nothing to do with the ark. What are you talking about? Can you build an ark like that? You got an iPhone. If you can't watch a YouTube video and do it, I don't even know what world we're living in. But, God said, hey Noah, build this big boat and put animals on it because there's a flood coming. How did God save Noah? Through the ark. What you believe about God has a lot to do with what you believe about the ark. Is God a part of that or not? God could have saved Noah any way he wanted to. But Noah didn't save himself. God saved Noah. God brought Noah and seven other people and some animals through water, through the means of the ark. What if Noah, 30 days into the rain, gets in his head, he doesn't need the stupid ark anymore. He can, he can just worship God anywhere. Like out in the water. How's that go? He dies. In fact, the only thing that would save Noah should he jump off the ark is getting back on it. In the same way, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. What saves you? God or baptism? Yes. Because does God save you? Yes. How does he do it? Through baptism. What if we baptize a baby... The baby grows up and says, you know what, I can worship God anywhere, not in this baptism, not in this church, but in my heart. And he jumps off the ark. Is that going to go good or bad? It's going to go bad. Does that mean the baptism is broken? No more than the ark would be broken if Noah jumped off it. But does God in his mercy want to pick that kid up and put him back in that baptism? What kind of God do you have? A merciful one. A long-suffering one who's actually willing to climb down into the waters of baptism himself. What you believe about God and what you believe about baptism are connected. Are you kind of with me so far? Do you have any questions? Do you have any comments, any concerns? kind of start to see with that, um, as soon as Noah gets off the ark, he gets drunk and he passes out naked. Uh, I mean, he worships first, which I guess is good. So the question is, because Noah, he, he got off the ark, he went to church right away, and then he got drunk and passed out naked. Is he out? In fact, there was something that came along and covered his shame. We tried, there, his kids actually had this fight. Is he out of the church now or not? Because one kid finds him drunk and naked, and he points and laughs, and he says to his brothers, Look at that! That's hilarious! Let's know him by his sin. And his other brothers 
say, no, this is not how it works. And they don't even face him. They turn their backs to him so they won't see him and they drag a blanket over him and they cover him. What is baptism? It is a covering of your shame. It is a continual, daily gift of God that would know you not by your sins, but by his mercy, by his grace, by the covering of your sin and the wearing of a new identity in Christ. And so there is a difference between doing this thing on your own and doing this thing on God. And so in our, our, our catechism then, um, Luther starts to wrap this thing up by saying all saving faith must be in something external. Everything is from the outside in. Extra nos. Outside in. And so when Jesus needs to save you, does he say, set your heart right and then everything will follow? Or does he die on a cross? If you want to really start this thing in your heart, you can try. But the thing is, that's where you have to start with that first presupposition we started with. Does God want you to be happy? Because really, if you, if you just set your heart on the things that make you happy, I will do some terribly ungodly things in the name of spite, in the name of greed, in the name of jealousy, in the name of sin. I will follow all kinds of things that make me happy, and I will say, God just wants me to. There's a pastor just indicted on fraud for doing this, um, one of the megachurch guys. Um, he told his church um, God wanted them to buy into this mutual fund that he put together. It worked well for him. He made millions was this God's will? How do you know? Let's maybe not start with our heart, but with his word. Because the federal courts have said that what he did was wrong. And I'm actually willing to stand with them on that one for once. God's word speaks against this thing. Um, if we start from the outside in, how does God save sinners? Before they set their hearts aright, he dies for them. Before they set their hearts aright, he rises. Before they set their hearts aright, he preaches to them. Before they set their hearts aright, he baptizes them. The means by which God works, the real question is, can you find him in there or not? If it's just a shell, baptism doesn't matter. Like, if it doesn't do anything, baptism doesn't matter. If God is not actually in those waters, it doesn't matter. Just do whatever you want because it's cute to a kid. But if it actually does matter... If God says, I promise to be with you in these waters, like, I don't know, in the baptism of our Lord, which is our text for today, where Jesus joins himself in those waters, well, then I want to be in those waters too. If Jesus won't be in the water, I don't care. But if Jesus is in the waters, then we actually find unity with Jesus. If he's going to go in those waters first and then say, you come in here too, then baptism saves you, like the Bible says. Baptism is a unity with Jesus, both in his death and his resurrection, like the Bible says. If you don't need those things, that's one thing. But all of us here do. The question is, do we realize it? Because we're willing to build a lot of presuppositions that would say otherwise. Are you kind of with me here? Is baptism a work? Oh, I have a pastor here. <laughs> yes, it is a work of God. In other words, who's doing the baptizing? You or God? Who's doing the baptizing? Me or God? God. Oh, God. Through. So who saved Noah? No, the God or the ark? Well, God through the ark. Who saves you through baptism? God through, through baptism. Who's doing the work of baptism? God through the pastor. You see this pattern over and over again. What you think of Jesus has a lot to do with what you expect of what's going on in the rest of the world. So it's my hand, but who actually baptizes a kid? Because without him, I can't do anything. I can't. I can dedicate kids to God and say, God, take this kid. But like, what does that do? Show me in the Bible where it does something and we can talk. 
Yeah, and so what they yeah, but they rebaptize though. But they're, they're comfortable with that. They say it just didn't take. Because baptism doesn't do anything. It's just a pledge. Um, I'm serious. And so um, if you get baptized as a baby and then you join a church that doesn't baptize babies, they'll ask you to get rebaptized. And if your baptism as, as an adult um, leads to you falling away, they'll tell you when you're ready to get your act in order, you need to get rebaptized. In other words, you need to do it and you did it wrong, so let's watch the YouTube video again and try it again until it works. Is baptism your work or God's work? Because if it's your work, you can mess it up. And you might need to get it done again. Like, really. Um, I mean, I've had to clean my room more than once. I tried it. Floor looked great. I threw everything in the closet. Everything was fine, right? My mom opens the door and says, no, let's try this again. Maybe we'll do it the right way this time, huh? And I said, oh, man. However, when somebody does it for you and they are perfect, without sin, like, I don't know, God, is it going to get done right? Is there anything wrong with God's ark that he builds for Noah? No. You know why? Because he didn't say, Noah, I know you got sort of a drinking problem. Figure it out. Nothing ever got built wrong when somebody drank too much. Or does he say, this is how you do it. Do it just this way so that you can know. That's what baptism is actually really useful for. Because if I want to measure this thing by my heart, am I baptized? Yes. Do I still want a whole bunch of things that God calls evil? Yeah, do I still sin daily? Precisely. Precisely. Now, I'm not measuring this on something as shaky as my heart. How hard is it for me to have a good day turned into a bad day? Hey, pastor, you know how big your nose looks right now? Boom, bad day. And my nose is big every day, so it's just waiting to happen. I'm just saying how, bad, how hard is it for somebody to take your good day and turn it into a bad day? How long does it take to get in a car accident? How long does it take from your pledge turning into, I'm not going to do that thing now? My alarm goes off at 5 when I'm supposed to get up and exercise. How long before I don't want to do it anymore? I don't want to do it as soon as it beeps. If you want to do this on my pledge, it's not going to go well. And so God gives you baptism so that you can say, all right, is this true or is this not? Am I baptized? So did God do it wrong or not? No, because he's risen from the dead. So, when I, I feel so shaky inside of my heart, he gives me an external baptism to say, no, dummy, look, that's not who you are. You're baptized. In the same way, he externally rises from the dead. If you ask me how I know he lives and he only lives in my heart, well, then Jesus didn't rise from the dead for everyone who fell away from the faith. And if he didn't rise from the dead for them, did he rise from the dead for you? Either he did or he didn't. We put this thing on God and not on ourselves because whenever we do it on ourselves, it breaks. It always does because we're sinners, all of us. And so God gives us these external things where we can actually find him working and know God does his job right even if we don't do ours. And so I can say, is baptism done right? There's an easy way to test. God gives us things that he does command us to do. Is baptism law or gospel? Yes, because he does command it, but it does give promise. And so here's the thing. He doesn't set this thing in, in, a, out, in, in something that we can't do. Because he also says, follow the law. He says, you shall have no other gods. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. They're simple. How's it going? So he gives us this thing. Take a little bit of water. Is it actually water? Don't just rub a flower on somebody. That doesn't count. I'm sorry. Take water. Say, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Is it a baptism? Yes. 
You have to say it in Greek. That's what Jesus did. The disciples. Probably John. What was given to us in. The Eastern Orthodox Church actually does that. They only baptize in Greek. They won't say it in English. We say, no! Because it's not a magic spell. It's God working good. And so God works good here for you. Is it a baptism? Was there water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Who are you? A child of God. It's just that simple. It's not harder than that. Don't make it harder than that. Every time you try to make it harder than that, you're taking something away from Jesus' work. Did Jesus work that baptism where there was water in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Yes. I, I don't remember because I was a baby. Good. That's fine. We, we have all sorts of stuff you can't remember. What did you have for breakfast three days ago? Was there a witness to your baptism, though? That matters. I mean, really. What if they fall away? Was there a sponsor to your baptism? And so for us, then, sponsors are to be Lutheran. Not because we're picky, but because we actually say, look, uh, a sponsor is somebody who promises not only to pray for this kid, but to make sure they're brought up in the faith. And I have a hard time asking somebody to teach a child something they don't believe in themselves. It's not because I want to be exclusive. It's not because I want to say somebody's not allowed to do something. It's because, like, look, do you understand how rude that is? Like, how many of you guys, you don't have to raise your hand, but are just diehard Republicans? If somebody asked you, please raise my kid as a raging liberal, would you want to do that thing? How much so also in this? Um, it's not because we're trying to, to kick people out. It's because we're saying, it's your job then to actually see that this thing is followed through. So yes, people do fall away after baptism. And so the church has, for a long time, used sponsors. So uh, there is somebody beside the parent who can come and say, are you, are you sure about this? Let's talk. Let's look at God's word. We recognize that God works through this thing alone. And he works to, to draw us back to it over and over again. Because God is in the water. That's where we start. If God is not in the waters today, none of that matters. But if he is, what do we have? Baptism. That is a life-giving water, rich in grace, and a washing of new birth in the Holy Spirit. As St. Paul says in Titus chapter 3. To catechism. Do you have any questions or comments on this stuff? All right, remember, because this is where we're going to go in our, in our sermon today, even out of Isaiah 42. What you believe about Jesus has a lot to do with what you expect from baptism. And what you expect from baptism has a lot to do with what you believe about Jesus. If you change one, you're going to end up changing both. And so if you change your beliefs on baptism, you will eventually change your beliefs on Jesus. And if you change your beliefs on Jesus, you will eventually change your beliefs on baptism. The two are connected. They always have been. Because all of this stuff is connected. All right, let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you all for your time.